What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kev, what's good, my guy? What's popping? Oh, you know, just a casual Thursday. Uh, it's a little bit of a late start for us, but tis the season. Kyle is back in action, busy as all hell at work. So, uh, you know, Sling probably going to be a bro. little... Listen, listen, I don't judge nothing you do. I give you kudos. Bro, I, I'm telling you, halfway through the route, I'd have popped a U-Bop, went and got some Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I'm like, I'm out, bro. I'm not, I'm not doing this shit for the next month. I swear to God, I can't. It wasn't bad. I mean, it's just time-consuming, so it's just one stop at a time. That's all you can do. Quite literally, it's actually all you can do. Yeah, just, you know, one stop I do is one less stop to go. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, on my side, it was a little bit more uh, worrisome. Uh, my dog Sabo's been sick since Sunday. I uh, had to kind of rush him to the vet just because he had a kennel cough and had a lot of stuff coming out of his nose and sounded like he couldn't really breathe when he was sleeping. So I had to force the vet's hand and be like, yo, listen, I can't wait till Saturday. So I got him an appointment early this morning, took him in, picked him up. Thankfully, we got medicine prescribed. He seems a lot better and he's sleeping more soundly. So Fingers crossed he gets better by his birthday on Monday, but like I said, uh, busy in its own right because I still had to work, but more so on the, I hope my dog's okay, so definitely busy on my side too. Yeah, it's, I remember we were recording on Wednesday, and he was he was now bad, bro. It's it not a good look, but yeah. hopefully those meds kick in and he starts getting on the men pretty soon, so keep my fingers crossed on that one, bro. I appreciate you. But on a bright side, aside from my dog's birthday this weekend, we got plenty of NFL content to get into. You ready? Oh, dude. We got like five or six games to cover, including the one that just finished on Thursday night. (laughs) It's not like you didn't call it, bro. It's not like you didn't call it. Just get the agenda started. All right. So, 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 guys, first and foremost, we're going to talk about the Bills and Patriots game that just finished and went final just a few moments ago on Thursday. And then we are going to dive into the Sunday slate. So we have the Bills. Excuse me. Sorry. I just reread the first thing I have written down. We are going to go into the Jets and the Vikings game. And then we're going to slide into the Commanders and the Giants game, which is a huge NFC East game. That's going to be a big circled game for me personally, just because I am going to be curious to see who comes out of that. You have a matchup with Derrick Henry and the Titans going into Philadelphia to face Jalen Hurts and their former teammate, A.J. Brown. Then you have the Dolphins going against the 49ers. That is going to be Mike McDaniel's former team, so that's going to be a return home, so to speak, because this is going to be in San Francisco. And then to close it out, the incredible game that should be a primetime game instead of what is, unfortunately, that is my game. So I, I apologize on behalf of all Chiefs and Bengals fans. But the Chiefs head to Cincinnati for an AFC championship rematch of last year. Obviously, the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC, arguably in the NFL. And then you have the surging Bengals, who are 7-4. and four, So that is going to be an incredible game that we are all looking forward to. And, fingers crossed for this, Jamar Chase is slated to return. He is listed as questionable along with Joe Mixon. So if they are at full strength, I am super excited for the potential that this game could provide. I mean, hey, it could be an AFC Championship rematch for all we know. But that is going to be the agenda, guys, so I'm not going to waste any time. As as you could tell, Kyle is itching to talk about this game. He did predict that the Patriots would lose. I, on the other hand, predicted that they would win. So, I mean, for Kyle's sake, I wish I would have been right, but that's just not the case. Kyle, the Bills moved to 9-3. and three. New England falls back to 6-6. Six and six. 
Bills win 24 to 10 in Foxborough. And I'm just by the, the look of your face, man, I'm gonna just let you have the floor, man. What the hell happened? The Bills just know how to do it against New England. And really, it just it's a continuation of what they've been able to do the last couple of years with Josh Allen at the helm. The Patriots defense can't stop Josh Allen and the Bills offense. And even though the Josh Allen wasn't the primary reason why that Bills offense was putting up points, he was still incredibly effective. Had a relatively nice game. I think he completed somewhere around 65 to 66% of his passes. Had two passing touchdowns, one to Stephon Diggs, one to Gabriel Davis. But Kevin, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the main takeaway from this game was the Bills running game. And I think this was a welcome sight if you are a Bills fan, knowing that they ran the ball extremely effectively against this Patriots defense, which when you look at the Patriots defense as a whole, their rushing defense is one of those areas that you can attack. And that's what I believe that Sean McDermott and the Bills coaching offensive staff made a point of emphasis in this game. Even though they didn't run the ball four, five, six yards per carry, they were picking up three yards here and there, and they were putting Josh Allen and that offense in positions where you're dealing with only like a, a third and two, a third and three, third and four. These are manageable down and distances on third down to be able to convert those third downs and extend drives. And that's exactly what we saw. There were plenty of drives that the Bills scored touchdowns on where they were at least 10 plays or more, where they took at least four, five, six minutes off the clock. And to be quite honest with you, Kev, back in the good old days when Brady was with the Patriots, New England ran that style of offense when Tom Brady wasn't essentially Tom Brady yet. They leaned heavily on their run game with Kevin Falk and Corey Dillon back in the day. Now, granted, the Bills don't have what I would consider those types of players based on who they have on their roster right now, but the effectiveness, nonetheless, is still there. And it was a very welcome sight that the Bills definitely went for a more well-rounded performance on the offense instead of just solely relying on Josh Allen to be able to carry that team to a victory. And even though the Bills have had their issues the last couple of weeks, I think this was one of those games where from beginning to end, this was just a well-rounded victory as far as I see it. The defense held the Patriots to 10 points, and the Patriots were coming off of one of their best offensive performances last week against the Vikings. But... They were really solid in getting pressure to Mac Jones, limiting the Patriots run game, and only holding them to 10 points. So they were able to get that Patriots offense off the field on third down consistently, and the Patriots had the punt because of it. So all in all, like when it comes to the Bills, the Bills were phenomenal in this game. And as far as I see it, they're sitting at a 9-3 record. I believe they won three games in a row. And we'll see whether or not they could be able to continue that style of success moving forward. It's just, I still have to see a little bit more consistency. Like I said, the Bills have been up and down the last couple of weeks. There have been times where they've looked great, and there have been times where they've looked very shaky. But I have to say that this was a solid performance from them. Now let me kick it to the Patriots. I've got to blame Bill Belichick on this one. I'll be honest with you. I think the Patriots looked underperformed or underperformed, underprepared for this game based on the circumstances at hand. You're going, you're going up against the Bills. The Bills are the top rival in your division at this point, simply just because they're one of the best teams in the division. And from the offensive play calling perspective, 
I thought Matt Patricia, outside of that one little slip screen that they ran to Marcus Jones, which ended up being the only touchdown that the Patriots scored, uh, the play calling was atrocious. I think there were times where they could have definitely set Mac for some play action passes, but they leaned a little bit too heavily on the run game. And the Bills were able to snuff out some of the Patriots runs where the Patriots had to deal with somewhere in between second and 13 or second and 15 multiple times throughout the game. And not only that, the amount of mental mistakes from the Patriots from this game in particular, and it's really been a trend the last couple of weeks, has been noticeable. With the amount of holding penalties, offensive line issues, this offense is just stagnant. And like I said earlier, the, the, that game against the Vikings, that was the best that I've seen New England's offense look the entire year. And then we went straight back to what the Patriots offense has looked like the entire year in this game specifically, where they just look flat. They look really unenthusiastic as far as I see it, just because they're dealing with down and distances that are just frankly unacceptable. You know, there are times where they're dealing with third and 10, third and 11, third and sometimes even third and 15. I mean, these are down and distances that you're not going to be able to convert very often. And they popped up once again in this game. And not only that, I thought the Patriots, they did enough defensively to keep the score relatively close. I mean, at one point it was 17 to seven at halftime. I mean, I will even say the Patriots were up early in this game, but when the offense isn't moving the ball and executing third downs to extend drives, the Bills are going to get the ball back and they're going to score something just because of that offense that they have at their disposal. And I will say that the Patriots defense had a more respectable showing in this game. It wasn't an absolute blowout. Like I was hoping not to see. So only giving up 24 points to the Bills, it's not the worst thing in the world, but the fact that the, pa the Patriots offense only got 10 points on the board, it's really troubling. They're sitting at 6-6. Six and six. Overall, I don't like the direction of the team. And I think when it comes to Bill Belichick, I think he's got to take some criticism here. I think he has failed Mac Jones as far as I see it with not surrounding him with a coaching staff that suits his skill set. And I think the play calling issues that Matt Patricia has been dealing with the entire year is indicative of that. The offensive line has been dinged up. And frankly, I think some of the route selections that Matt Patricia has designed for this offense have not led to receivers getting open. I think the Patriots offense, when it comes to the skill set or the skill players that they have, I think they're relatively fine. It's just, I don't think they're being put in situations where they can win those one-on-one -on -one battles and you know, put that offense into a position where they could score points consistently. Overall, I think the offense is just an absolute tire fire. And that's on Matt Patricia, but I think it goes to the top of the pecking order with Bill Belichick. So all in all, you know, just to kind of round this game out, the Bills look like they're kind of rounding into form. Uh, they've been on a pretty good kick the last couple of weeks. Um, I needed to see a little bit something from them after only beating the Lions by three points on Thanksgiving. This was a well-deserved victory for them. They earned it as far as I see it. And when it comes to the Patriots, the Patriots are a mediocre team. There are times where they look good, they look decent, and then they kind of fall back down to earth when they play against good talent. And this is one of those examples. And when the Patriots go up against top-tier talent within the next couple of weeks or so, they will relatively struggle. So that's just kind of my analysis on the game. So Kev, the floor is yours on this one. I mean... <laughs> I can, guess this is how you feel. Can, can, you, can you sit up a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I guess this is how you feel whenever I go and rant about the Colts because, they, they, dude, you hit 
every potential possible topic from play calling to execution to defensive woes to just straight out coaching criticism. I feel like I was listening to a little bit of a Frank Reich with a little bit more respect, of course, uh, to a little Frank Reich uh, rant. And it's kind of crazy because I'm in full agreement with the play calling. I mean, you've been saying it all year. I don't watch every single Patriot game by any means, but at the same time, in the games that I do tune into, whether that's because of red zone or because they're playing somebody like the Colts, pain. Jesus, I gave myself PTSD. Um, You can see that there are some instances where Patricia looks lost. And obviously he's been known for his defensive schemes. I mean, he got hired in Detroit as a head coach because he was a defensive minded head coach. Uh, he obviously was one of the better defensive coordinators over the course of the the, the late 2010s, early 2020s. I mean, uh, dude, that that's what you're known for. Like, and you're gonna put a defensive-minded pro- coach as your offensive coordinator. Like, I get it. You know, there's it's hard to replace a brilliant offensive mind in Josh McDaniels. And I know that that's not ne- necessarily translating in Vegas. But what I'm trying to say is the system that he had in New England obviously worked tenfold as opposed to him being anywhere else, which includes Denver and now Vegas. What I'm trying to get at is criticism is not unwarranted when it comes to Bill Belichick because the defense hasn't played well the last couple of weeks necessarily. I know that keeping Buffalo under 24, or excuse me, under under 28, 30 points is a, is a good feat, but they did have a 14-point second quarter. They did move the ball. They did keep time of possession completely away from New England. I think it was 38 to 21 in terms of minutes of possession, time of possession. And I'm just kind of like, like, not necessarily to the full agreement of what Kyle said, but it did look like Bill was just not ready for this, almost like he was just completely thrown off. And Buffalo has had New England's number over the course of Josh Allen's early career just because of the high-powered offense that they run. And Buffalo's defense has continuously gotten better year in and year out. So this kind of surprises me that New England was held to 10 points without Vaughn Miller. Um, New England was held to 10 points, even though Mac Jones played a decent game. And I'm not going to say phenomenal. I'm saying decent. He's gotten better, what, over the course of the last three to four weeks, in my personal opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was there were some situations aside from the touchdown where you're like, why is the wide receiver lined up here? Why run a crosser here? Why are you playing? Um, why are you running a screen on like third and two? It just to me, some of the play calling made no sense. I'm looking at this and I'm saying as as high and as quick as New England was rising for a potential competitive spot in the playoffs, they're kind of coming back down to earth like, yo, it, it, you can't do it with the talent that you have. You can't do it necessarily with the coaching staff that you have right now. And I just think that, you know, at this point, New England's kind of just playing for respect that you don't want to just call it a season. I don't think Bill Belichick has that in his system to kind of like give up. But Buffalo moves on the 9-3. and three. I will give them credit where credit is due. I mean, Josh Allen finally was able to shake the turnover woes. I mean, I don't believe that he had an interception. And I'm looking at the fumbles. He actually did lose the ball. Never mind. The turnover woes continue. He did have a turnover. It was a fumble. Um, but uh, overall, I'm just looking at this and saying Buffalo has woken up since that Jets failure. They have found ways to get wins, whether that be close wins like the Detroit or convincing ones against a divisional rival like the Patriots. Doesn't matter. Buffalo moves on to nine and three, and I think that they are slowly climbing back up the power rankings to be recognized as one of the better teams in the AFC. Yeah, I know we haven't had them in the top five in our power rankings the last couple of weeks, but I think when it's all said and done after Sunday is over and done with, they will probably be be back in the top five. Uh, that was a well deserved so. win as far as I see it. Granted, I wouldn't say it was the most explosive offensive performance, but to me. 
I think this is one of the more well-rounded wins that I've seen from them in quite some time. I think when it came to their overall domination of time possession offensively, huge check for them. That's a huge uh, achievement as far as I see it. And defensively, after that one touchdown that they gave up to the Patriots early on, bro, they put the clamps down on that New England offense. New England really couldn't get any sort of consistency going. They had one drive in the second half that I think got close to the red zone. I don't know if they got into the red zone on that field goal uh, that Nick Folk knocked in towards the end of the game. It was garbage time points anyway. But there were large stretches where the Patriots offense couldn't get anything moving really from the second quarter, basically to like halfway through the fourth quarter. That Bills defense was just phenomenal. So, And there also was, I believe Jordan Poyer had one interception that actually got overturned. Mac threw an errant pass and... As Poyer was coming down to the ground, he lost control of the ball, and they ruled it an incomplete pass. They initially ruled it as an interception, but after review, they actually overturned it. But nonetheless, the the Bills are in a good spot right now. I think you know with them being on a three game winning streak, you know those Jets and Vikings losses were tough, but I think they've kind of, I think they found a good little groove here in their run game, and we'll see whether or not they could be able to maintain that, but. I think when it comes to the Patriots, I got to put a lot of this on Bill. I think there's a lot of criticism that definitely needs to be put on his shoulders based on how this season has gone, especially with the offensive coaching personnel, because I just don't think that he has surrounded Mac Jones and the other pieces on the offense with the right personnel to lead that offense. I don't believe that Mac Jones is it. I don't believe he's a bad quarterback. I just believe he has an incompetent, offensive coaching staff around him and it's having a detrimental effect to the offense. So there's a clear regression as far as I see it from going from Josh McDaniels to Matt Patricia. And it's, it's a night and day difference as far as I see it. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed. If things don't turn around in Vegas soon for Josh McDaniels to, you know, he eventually comes back, goes back to that OC, you know, reunites with Matt Jones and, all is right in New England, but I, I don't really foresee that being the case. But yeah, I the the Patriots are at best an average team. Yeah. And I think they would be an above average team if they actually had some decent offensive coaching personnel at this point. I think that's really what's holding the team back. So but yeah, Bill I, I'm not gonna go as far as you do with what you had to say about Frank Reich, because I, I, as far as I see it specifically talking about his coaching credentials, not his personal, like no personal attacks. I know you hated him as a coach. I know you had a lot of animosity towards that guy as a coach. I was, I was making the reference in the sense of you had so much to say about someone you'd never talk about. It just, even though it was all respectful, it felt like your version of like a very, modified frank frank lecture if not rant it just again it just felt like you were just like kind of coming at him and coming at him i'm sitting here listening like I, I, i'm not i'm Is not as Kyle okay <laughs> i'm not as explosive as you are no, when it no, comes no. to the criticism but i guess i'm a little bit more measured in my criticism yeah. but no it's not to the point where i'm going out and saying that oh bill's job is up you know is up no, for grabs no. here like you know he's on the hot seat or anything like that no, 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 no. Like, I mean, they were a playoff team last year, and obviously there's been some issues offensively. I do think the, those could be corrected. 
I think it's just going to take this offseason to, to get it back into hopefully the right place. But it seemed like going into this year, there was definitely some instability at that coaching staff um, area of the offense. So we'll kind of see where it goes from here. But yeah, you know, just to kind of round this out, Bills are looking decent and the Patriots, bro, they, they got some work to do. I think that's just kind of putting it mildly, but we'll just kind of leave it at that. So with that said, we are going to transition to a pretty solid matchup that we have taking place in Minneapolis on Sunday. It is a one o'clock game. We got the New York Jets going up against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, just to give you guys a quick recap. or Well, yeah, I guess that's probably the best way to say it. Uh, just to give a recap of where both teams stand right now. The Jets are currently sitting at a 7-4 record. The Minnesota Vikings are sitting at a 9-2 record. The Jets are coming off of a very solid performance last week. Mike White, hashtag the GOAT, had a solid fill-in performance after Zach Wilson got benched. And it looks as if that Mike White is going to be the starting quarterback for the Jets for the foreseeable future. And we'll see how he's able to transition last week's performance going into pretty tough scenario going up against the Minnesota Vikings. And then when it comes to the Vikings, uh, the Vikings came off of a Thanksgiving day win against the Patriots. So it has been a while since we've seen the Vikings play. They, I think they'll have 10, 11 days off since the last time that they played just because of that game taking place on a Thursday on Thanksgiving. So, you know, the Vikings nine and two top of the NFC North and I mean, Kev, they're not that they're not that far away from clinching a playoff spot at this point because the division, as far as I see it, is pretty much wrapped up in their favor. Pretty much another win or two, and they pretty much have this thing locked up. But nonetheless, we got a very good game. We got a stellar defense with the Jets going up against a high-powered offense in the Vikings. This should be a fun one. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, we got the Jets and the Vikings going at it on Sunday afternoon. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? Dude, I got one matchup circled in my brain. Sauce Gardner versus Justin Jefferson. Sauce has been the best rookie in this class, and it's not close. Sauce has been the guy that's locked up pretty much everybody he's come against, and it's been unprecedented because, again, we expected him to be good being the number four overall pick. I did not expect him to be this good. I mean, we're talking about man-to-man coverage, dropping back in the zone. I mean, the guy is as good as you can get. I mean, the Jets hit every check mark when it comes to drafting a stellar player and he's an instant game changer we know that justin jefferson has struggled against solid corners obviously darius slay he had a couple james bradbury touches in that philly game early in the year jeff okuda is an up-and-coming younger corner and justin's been kind of getting back into a groove slowly but surely and again he's had bigger games uh in certain weeks and then more uh, i guess normal games in, in others but when you go up against a kid with this much confidence in sauce i mean for god's sakes he's, his name is literally it's sauce like what the who calls themselves that you know like i just the confidence on that guy is ridiculous right so when you have like kyle alluded one of the best defenses in the league going up against one of the best offenses in the league it deems to be a matchup that everybody has to watch it it's like must see tv i'm actually going to pick the upset i'm going to go new york Minnesota's defense is not something that has been impressive over the course of the last month or so, not to mention Mike White expands this offense to no extent when compared to Zach Wilson. If you can leverage the vertical capabilities of Elijah Moore, if you can put Garrett Wilson in some mismatch situations, 
I truly believe if they keep the time of possession, I'm not going to say similar to this Thursday night game with the Patriots and the Bills, but if you can run the football effectively and keep the ball out of Kirk Cousins' hands, I really think that the Jets can pull one away in Minnesota. I just think with the combination of Mike White and this newly awoken offense with their already confident defense, I just I'm I really firmly believe that the Jets can pull something out of Minnesota, man. We're talking about like the 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 Jets find ways to get to the quarterback. They are pretty solid at stopping the run. And by stopping, I mean slowing down. They're not the greatest team in the world. And then, of course, you have probably one of the better secondary tandems out there, uh, you know, right outside of Sauce Gardner. So you just, you're looking at it and you're saying, well, on paper, this is going to be a good matchup. But when you actually break it down step by step, I think that the Jets have a slight edge. I know that Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback than Mike White, and that's how you score in the league is by having a good quarterback. But if you take that quarterback's options away, and obviously the pass rush of the Jets has been above average, and Minnesota's offensive line has struggled, I think that that can pose problems for Minnesota in the long haul. I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout. I'm not even saying it's going to be a a double-digit win. I think the Jets squeak away with one by the score of maybe 24 to 21. I don't know what it is, man. I don't know if I'm overhyping Mike White. I don't know if I'm just a prisoner in the moment. I think that he's going to do just enough to get them past, and I think that Sauce is going to come up with a huge turnover, and he is going to help seal the game for the Jets to pull off an upset and move to 8-4. and four. Yeah, we're going to be honest with you. I'm very split on this game, and to me, this is one of those games where I don't really have a clear definitive winner. Because in one scenario, I see the Jets winning. In another scenario, I see the Vikings winning. And this is just, I'm going to do my best to just kind of break it down this way. But I'm going to give my case for why both teams can win. And then I'll honestly probably just finish it with which team I think is going to have the best chance to win. But it's going to be by a very slim margin. So let me start with the Jets first. If the Jets are going to win this game, it is going to be because of their pass rush against that Vikings offensive line. If the Jets are able to establish dominance on the defensive side of the ball against that, what I would consider is a weakened offensive line with the Vikings because of the injuries that they've been dealing with the last couple of weeks, I think the Jets can have a very good chance to win this game by maybe three or four points. And because I think when it comes down to it, you know, being able to slow down this Vikings offense is a key emphasis when it comes to Robert Sala and the defensive coaching staff in being able to give themselves a chance going on the road into Minneapolis. Because let's face it, when it came to the Vikings last week against the Patriots, it looked like they returned to form. They had that one game against the Cowboys a couple weeks back where they just got destroyed at home. The offense couldn't move the ball in any way, shape, or form against Dallas's defense. And the game was essentially over by halftime. But you know, looking back at that Patriot game, they put up over 30 points. Justin Jefferson cooked that Patriots secondary. Adam Thielen got involved. Dalvin had some good touches here and there. It just seemed as if Kirk Cousins was just in his bag the entire night against the Patriots. And maybe there's some momentum on his side going into this game. But I have to say that this Jets defense, the last couple of weeks, have been extremely impressive. Because I think in the last two games combined, have they given up 13 points? And you could say it's even been less than that based on the fact that, well, actually, 
yeah, it really realistically is 13 points because the seven points that they gave up to the the Patriots on the game winning touchdown was a punt return. So it really goes to show how incredible this defense is when it comes to the Jets recently. And if they're able to maintain that consistency to be able to get the Vikings offense off the field on third down and get the ball to Mike White in the Jets offense, I think that will definitely put them in a good position to put some points on the board and potentially win this game. Now, let me kick it to the Vikings. If it, it comes down to it, I think Kirk Cousins has got to be able to show that he can go up against a really top-flight defense and beat those one-on-one matches that the wide receivers of the Vikings have at their disposal against that vaunted Jets secondary. Like you said, Sauce Gardner has been off to a very good start this year. Kev, he's one of the best up-and-coming corners in the league. And... You know, Kirk's got to be able to complete those passes against that secondary, and it's going to be tough just because, you know, you look at the last two weeks, they were able to shut down Trevor Simeon. Granted, it's Trevor Simeon. You know, it's not saying much, but that Bears offense couldn't get anything moving last week, the week before, even though that Mac Jones was relatively consistent in that game completing passes, they just weren't able to score points I guess that Jets defense, which really goes to show it's going to be a tough matchup for the Vikings as far as I see it going against this defense. And if I'm going to be honest with you, I think one of the ways that the Vikings can win is that they rely on Dalvin Cook to be able to get some good chunks here because he's somebody that I think at times can be underutilized just because I think the Vikings have a tendency to really be focused on passing the ball, using Kirk Cousins, using Justin Jefferson, as the catalyst to get this offense going, but you got an all pro pro bowl running back back there with Dalvin cook. And if he's given opportunities to exploit some spaces, he could definitely burn 10, 15 yards per carry. And we've even seen him break out an 80 yard touchdown against the bills. Not too long ago. So if the bills are going to win this, not the bills, if the Vikings are going to win this game, it's going to have to be a Kirk, a Kirk cousins led performance and the defense is going to have to get some turnovers against Mike White. If they're able to do that, I think they'll be able to win. When it comes down to my pick, Kevin, I'm going to go with the opposite here. I'm going to go with the Vikings in a very close win. I'm saying they win this one by three or four points. Like I said before, I even dove into my scenarios for both teams. I could see both of these teams getting a dub in this scenario. But I'm going to go with, I think the Vikings have enough offensive firepower to top that Jets defense and squeak by in this one. I think when it comes down to a score, I'm going to say they win this one 27 to 24, but it's going to be a battle. And I think to me, it comes down to that battle of line of scrimmage. If the Vikings offensive line is able to hold up against that Jets pass rush and their front six, front seven gives them a slight edge. If the Jets are able to win that those one-on-one battles in the trenches, then I think the Jets win. I think to me, it really kind of comes down to those battles in the trenches and we'll see who comes out on top in this one. But I'm going to go with the Vikings by a hair in this one. But like I said, Kev, I'm with you 100%. I could definitely see the Jets getting this game too. So I don't want to rule that out either, but I'm going to go with the Vikings on this one. I'm telling you personally, I've said it to you and to my friends for years. I'm very into the the one-on-one matchups the x's and o's i'm I'm fascinated with matchups i think sauce and justin they're gonna go at it yeah. and i think kurt and the only a big reason why i'm saying the jets 
I think Kirk is going to force the ball to Jay, and that's going to result in a turnover. Now, whether that's a deflection, whether or not that's an arid pass, a miscommunication, I mean, we've seen it time and time again. When you force feed a receiver, that's going to put your offense in a bad situation and set them back from consistent first and uh, from, excuse me, from consistent second and manageable, third and short. If you're passing on two, three straight downs, you're going to constantly be at a disadvantage in the yardage game. And then, of course, the clock is going to stop. You're not going to be able to get into a rhythm and it's going to be just like come from behind, come from behind, which makes you have to pass 10 times more. Because if you're down two scores, run game's not going to be important depending on what, what frame of the game you're in. And you're going to completely misuse or not utilize one of the better backs in the league when given the opportunities. I just, I'm not saying that Kevin O'Connell doesn't have the offensive capabilities and the mindset to come into this game prepared with a good strategy. But I just think when you have somebody that is locked down, like a Jalen Ramsey, obviously like a prime Patrick Peterson back in, well, I mean, he's been playing better as of late, but I'm talking like when you look at a shutdown corner, you have to plan for that. Sauce is a rookie. He's not the best corner in the league. He's not a certain. He's not anything like that. But he is jumping quickly. Like, seriously, I need you to tell me when the last time, other than Jalen Ramsey in recent memory, you've seen a quarterback, cornerback, have this much immediate impact. Um, if I had to guess off the top of my head, maybe Asante Samuel? Asante Samuel got a pretty good start early on in his career in New England. And really within, like, I'd say two to three years, he was regarded as one of the best corners in the league. Now, I do have to kind of be careful with that statement because, look, when it comes to sauce, you know, we have to see whether or not he's able to maintain it. Of course. And and I I don't want to put, like, so much emphasis on, like, oh, like, you know, he's going to be a stud corner from here on out. Hopefully that's the case. Hopefully he's a Pro Bowl corner within, like, the next year or two. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, There have been times where I think, you know, guys have gotten off to good starts and then they kind of regress a little bit. I even remember... When Devin McCourty first came into the league, I know it's kind of referring to a lot of Patriot players here. Devin McCourty actually had a decent amount of turnovers in his rookie season as a Patriot. But going into that second year, there there were some adjustments that he had to make, and there were some times where he got burned. So until they actually moved him to safety, that's where he's largely been his entire career. Those years at corner, they were kind of up and down. But no, as far as what Sauce has been able to do, He's been phenomenal so far, and hopefully he's able to maintain it as far as I see it. So, because guy is one of he's one of the best corners that I've seen who's this young be this impactful for a team like the Jets in quite some time. It's just whether or not he's able to maintain it. Yeah, if it were possible, like if I were able to like purchase a camera angle of just Justin Jefferson the entire off, like I want to see where Sauce lines up. Like I want to see the film. Like if I had the capability of getting NFL film. So I would love to see the footwork. How do you play him off the line of scrimmage? How much cushion do you give him? Do you give him the opportunity at the line of scrimmage to jam? Or, like, you know what I'm saying? There's just so many things I'm fascinated with with the, this matchup. The, the one thing that I'm going to be paying attention to is who's going to win those first two or three steps. Because yep. that's critical. Because if Justin wins those steps and he gets the edge on Sauce Gardner, then, yeah, Definitely. I think Justin's going to win that matchup. But if it's the other way around, Justin could struggle. If he's not able to gain separation, if some of those passes are a little bit contested, it could be a tough day for Justin. 
But overall, I'm going to probably slightly favor Justin in that regard just because Justin has been in the league a little bit longer. He's Kevin. I mean, he's one of the, he's probably the most productive receiver that we've seen in NFL history through the first three seasons compared to any other receiver. So yeah, I mean, he's in off terms to a of, really in good. terms of statistically. Absolutely. Yeah. Receiving yards. He's the, he's at the top of the list and he's still got like five or six games to go. It's just whether or not that he can win these one-on-one battles against sauce Gardner. And, you know, maybe this is one of those games where rookie inexperience comes into play here. Maybe, maybe you know, we'll see whether or not he so. rise to the challenge, but man, I, that's really kind of the one one-on-one matchup that we're watching pretty intently as far as I see it. But all in all, I got to be honest with you, Kev, that is going to be a fun game when that takes place on Sunday. So, you know, it is a one o'clock game and I know Kirk won a primetime game uh, last week. But you know, one o'clock Kirk, one of the best at it. player. I admit he's like one of the best quarterbacks you ever seen. Never seen mm. anything like it. Never. But with that said, we are going to transition to another one o'clock game that is going to feature the Tennessee Titans and the Philadelphia Eagles. Just to give you guys a quick recap of where both these teams stand, the Titans are sitting at a seven to four record at the top spot of the AFC South, and then we kick it over to the Philadelphia Eagles. They currently have a ten and one record in the NFC East. They are number one in that division, and they are also the best team in the NFC at this current moment in time. So this is a really fun matchup. We got Jalen Hurts, who's having a great statistical year this season, going up against Derrick Henry, who's been one of the best running backs that we've seen in quite some time. And when you look at both teams right now, uh, the Titans are coming off of a very close loss to the Bengals at home last week. And then the Eagles, as far as I've seen it, Kev, they've just been kind of firing on all cylinders. Only one loss in their record. And, I mean, Philly could, if they just keep on winning here, that number one seed could be theirs. And they'll be that one team in the NFC that could potentially get a bye when we go into the first week at the playoffs if they play their cards right. But this is going to be one of those test games for the Eagles as far as I see it. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, we got the Titans going up against the Eagles on Sunday at 1 o'clock. Who do you think is going to come out in Philly and why? As everybody knows, I'm a pretty big advocate for the Eagles. I'm a pretty big Eagles supporter. I got Tennessee in this one. Point blank, period. Derrick Henry had an atrocious game last week. I think that with Philly's rush defense not being as stout as they should be, even with the adding of Lindeval Joseph and Ndamukong Sue, and of course Fletcher Cox and, and Vernon Hargraves and so on and so forth, Tennessee is known for running the ball. You have the best back in the league outside of Nick Chubb, of course, in terms of the most dominant, most forceful back in Derrick Henry. I don't think he has back-to-back weeks of bad performances. Ryan Tannehill had himself a great game last week, just throwing under, just shy of throwing over 300 yards in a game. He was able to carry the load and compete with Joe Burrow. And I think that they have a bad taste in their mouth. I think that the Titans uh, are going to find a way to make Philadelphia struggle. I mean, obviously, Dallas Goddard is out. Philadelphia has been not struggling, but they've been a little inconsistent offensive line protection-wise. I mean, Jalen Hurts has had the capability to scramble and extend plays with his feet. I mean, last week, I think he had over 140 or 50 yards rushing. It's ridiculous for a quarterback to have numbers like that. Again, I know that we've seen that with Justin Fields and so many other people like Lamar Jackson and so on and so forth. But for the game, for for the game he had, I think that was just 
absolutely insane against Green Bay. Not that Green Bay has a crazy defense, but I mean, he was gaining like what seemed to be like 20 or 30 yards at a clip in that first half. So I just think Philly has had a couple of close games, not last week, but as of recent. And there have been some instances where A.J. Brown has struggled and they've turned the ball over uh, in the Washington game. And then, of course, at the same time, they also had some turnovers um, against the Colts. I'm looking for Philadelphia to have a hiccup or two. And I think that they are going to make some mistakes that they're not going to be able to bounce back from. And I think Tennessee is going to capitalize. They're going to have to run the ball down Philly's throat, keep the ball away from Jalen Hurts, an MVP candidate, and not let them get into a rhythm. Of course, you're also looking at the injury report. C.J. Gardner-Johnson is out. He's out indefinitely. So that is one aspect where you can attack the secondary as well for Ryan Tannehill. Devontae Smith and Zach Pascoe, two wide receivers, are questionable. It is Thursday night. The official injury report won't be listed until Saturday. So, I mean, they could end up being ruled out. They could end up being uh, ruled active. It really depends. But again, for whatever reason, my stomach is telling me I, I got to go with Tennessee. I just feel like Derrick Henry is going to have one of those games where he just reminds everybody that he is king, and it's going to unfortunately come at the expense of the Philadelphia Eagles. So I believe they fall to 10-2, and two and, and Tennessee is going to end up coming up to 8-4. and four. I'm going to go the opposite way in this one. I am going to actually pick the Eagles in this one. And, Kev, it's not as if I don't understand where you're coming from. Uh, there have been some issues uh, from the Philadelphia Eagles offense the last couple of weeks. Um, I have to say, like, one of the things that I always kind of paid attention to with the Eagles early on was their second-half performances on the offensive side of the ball because we talked about this a lot. The Eagles have put up somewhere between 17 to 25 points in the first half and essentially just be killing whatever sort of team that they were going up against. It would be a two-possession lead. And then they would take their foot off the pedal a little bit. Just the offense wouldn't be as clicking as much. They'd be uh, settling for field goals instead of touchdowns. They'd have to punt the ball away just because of not being able to convert third down conversions. But I think when it comes to this matchup, I'm just not so sure that that Tennessee offense is going to be able to do enough against this Eagles defense. Because let's face it, like the Titans are the best team in the AFC South. Everybody pretty much knows that at this point. But as far as I see it, their offense is solely reliant on one person, and that is Derrick Henry. And if the Eagles are if the Eagles are smart, Kev, I would go seven, eight deep as far as stacking the box. We are not going to let you run the ball. And that would force the Titans to lean on Ryan Tannehill to get that win. And I'm not so convinced of it. And, Maybe this is one of those games where the Eagles defense, their coaching staff, looks at what they have to deal with. And Derrick Henry's like, we're not going to let him be the main factor for Tennessee to get this possible win at home or on the road in their case. And if they can live with the fact that Ryan Tannehill could execute to possibly get a road win for Tennessee, I think that they could live with that. But... I will say that the Eagles have a pretty good blueprint to work with to be able to at least minimize what Derrick Henry can do as far as his effectiveness goes. Because the Bengals, the Bengals last week did a really solid job to be able to contain Derrick Henry in the run game. There was that one play where Ryan Tannehill threw a screen pass to Derrick Henry. He ran it pretty much all the way to the end zone, except he got stripped at like the five yard line. And then Tennessee 
jumped on the ball and ended up scoring a touchdown from it. But outside of that, Derrick Henry was relatively pedestrian in that game. And if I'm the Eagles, granted, their defensive personnel is not of the same character that the Bengals were able to do last week. But still, I think that they could be able to make some plays on the defensive side of the ball to be able to minimize Derrick Henry to, I would say, an average game on the ground. If the Eagles can maintain him to 50 to 75, maybe 100 at the most, that's probably something that they could live with. But if he runs for 150, 175 yards, then you could pretty much you know, kiss this game goodbye for the Eagles just because you know, once Derrick Henry gets running downhill, it's very hard for anybody, any defense to stop as far as I see it. So, you know, that's really the, the biggest matchup I see when it comes to the Eagles defense going up against the, the Titans offense. It's Derrick Henry or bust when it comes to the Titans as far as I see it. Now, when it comes to the offense for the Eagles, I have to see a little bit more consistency from Jalen simply just because, you know, A.J. Brown the last couple of weeks has been hit or miss as far as I've seen it. And it's not because I have him in fantasy. He is on my team. And I do definitely want to see him get some points on the board. But it just seems like the connection there is a little bit off. Just I'm not saying it's a chemistry issue. I think this mostly just has to do with timing. But if they could be able to fix that timing issue that they've been dealing with the last couple of weeks, I think that A.J. Brown can have a relatively solid game in this game against his former team. And there may be a point of emphasis when it comes to Nick Sirianni and the offensive coaching staff to make it a point of emphasis. Like, no, we got AJ Brown on our team. Now we're going to use them to the fullest extent possible. And we're going to show Tennessee what they gave up. So this could be a game where AJ Brown could have a relatively good game. Not only that, you got Devonte Smith, who was a stud, Coming out of Alabama just a couple years ago, he's shown some flashes. I think everybody knows what he's capable of. And I think, you know, when it comes down to it, I want to see a little bit more effectiveness in the run game. Miles Sanders is somebody that you can rely on. If they run that RPO very well, I think that Miles Sanders can have an impact in this game. Overall, I, I like what they do with their run game. Not only that, they have Kenneth Gainwell in the backfield as well. So they have multiple people that they can utilize out of the backfield. And I think if the Eagles just do a good job of not turning the ball over in this game, execute on third down to extend drives, granted, this is a tough defense that they're going up against. The Titans are a very stingy defense. They don't give up a lot of points. So, you know, points I think are going to come at a premium here for the Eagles. So the Eagles definitely have to be on their A game here if they're going to get this win. I think they'll be able to do enough in this game. I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be a one-possession game when it's all said and done. But I am going to favor the Eagles here slightly on this one. I'm going to say the Eagles win this one by the score of 23-17. to 17. Just because the Titans haven't shown me enough to put up more than 20-25 points consistently the entire year. That's despite the fact that you have Derrick Henry in the backfield. And then... I think the Eagles just have enough offensive weapons at their disposal to get past this Titans defense. Granted, not going to be easy. They showed that they can maintain a really high-powered offense like the Bengals last week to only 20 points. And going up against Jalen Hurts in this Eagles offense, I think that they could replicate that type of success, but not enough to get them a win in this one. So I'm going to say the Eagles get this win in a one-possession dub for them. And they would essentially move to 11-1 and and maintain the number one seed in the NFC. So that's how I see this game playing out. I mean, I know that, uh, like I said before, I'm a big Eagles supporter. I just, 
I don't know what it is, bro. It's like when I get those weird like stomach I, twists, I'm like, I dude, it. I don't know why. Derrick Henry, I feel like it's gonna pop. I well, here's the thing, because like you know, you look back at the Eagles Colts game a couple weeks ago where Philly only won by one point. It was a grind for them. I mean, I, I have to give credit, you know, you know, it comes to your team in the Colts. The Colts defense kind of gave them a run for their money. And it took some late game heroics from Jalen to be able to get them that win. And not only that, the week before that, they struggled against the commanders. commanders. They struggled. And it was the turnovers. The one thing with the Eagles that's really been a main issue with them, the I'd say probably the right? last month, the last month of the year, well, the last month of the season, I should say, not year, is like you said, the turnovers. Really the fumbles. Because I think through like the first eight games of the year, they've they had three turnovers. In I think total, in one yeah. game. I think against the commanders, they had three in that game. Yeah, Quez so, had a fumble. I think Jalen had a pick, and I think AJ Brown had a fumble. Yeah, so and the, the Quez one really hurt them because it was like a 35, 40 yard throw. And then after he got up, he got stripped. Yeah. So you know, I, I did like where the offense went last week just because they did put up 40 points against the Packers, but it is the Packers. I think the most concerning thing about that game, though, was the defense gave up 33 points. So I will say when it comes to the Packers offense, they definitely had their issues this year. But with the Titans, the Titans, they're just not that consistent in putting up points. So... I think if they're able to maintain Derek to a relatively pedestrian performance, I think that'll be enough to get them by. But I could see this game playing very similar to what it was like against the Colts for them. Very similar. So that's why I only had it as a one-position win for the Eagles in this one. So that's just kind of how I see this one playing out. But no, I understand where you're coming from, saying like you got like this weird gut feeling that the Eagles might drop this one. It's not as if I don't understand it. It's just... I just can't trust Ryan Tannehill, bro. I don't know what it is. It's just, there are just times in the game where he screws up and it puts the team behind the eight ball. So it, 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 it could be the form of a turnover, not completing a pass on third down. It's just, he's just not that guy. Derek's that guy, but not Ryan Tannehill. So we'll kind of leave that game for where it's at, but I think it's going to be a good one on Sunday, none the least. But with that said, we are going to transition to the next game on the slate. And Kev, I think we got the uh, we got the Dolphins and the 49ers next, if I'm correct, right? At the Giants and the Commanders. Okay. I got one game ahead of myself. So let me pull up the tab real quick just so I have it in mind. That was the one tab that I forgot to open up before we started recording. But with that said, let's dive into this really competitive NFC East matchup that we have taking place. On Sunday at one o'clock as well. We've been covering a lot of one o'clock games yeah, so right? far, but but I will say that one o'clock slate this weekend is solid, Jam-packed, bro. Yeah, so those one o'clock games are definitely going to be something to watch uh, when they all go down on Sunday. But like I said, got a great NFC East battle taking place between the Commanders and the Giants. Just to give you guys a quick recap of both teams right now, uh, the Commanders have been on a really good stretch the last month and a half. Uh, they're currently sitting at a seven and five record. And it's really been Taylor Heineke show and their defense being able to step up and play some solid defense to be able to maintain teams to essentially team digit performances. And not only that, we've got the New York Giants who 
have been slipping a little bit the last couple of weeks. Uh, they, they've been a team on the decline uh, just the last couple of weeks after they had a really good start. Um, a well-balanced effort from Saquon Barkley and the defense, but the Giants are definitely looking to get back into the win column and definitely try to get to an 8-4 record as we go on from Week 13. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, we've got the Commanders and the Giants going at it in what I would consider is a crucial NFC East battle this weekend. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? Dude, I got Washington, man. They're hot right now. For whatever reason, as average as Taylor Heineke has been playing, he has lifted this locker room into a different kind of execution status. They are just getting it done. The defense is finding ways to create turnovers. They're finding ways to stop people on third down. And they are just doing enough on offense to get to the red zone, score. And even if it's just all field goals, they're putting points on the board. That's what you expect out of a backup. And in this case, he's now the starter because he has taken Carson Wentz's spot because Carson's back. He's healthy. He's fine. Now, I will preface and say this could get out of hand if Chase Young is activated. He is listed as questionable. With the injuries to the Giants' offensive line and, of course, to the wide receiving core, I know for a fact that this potentially could be a massive issue for the Giants. Chase Young is, an, is a mismatch nightmare. I mean, he is just a force to be dealt with. Then you have one of the Sweat Brothers, and it's just the list goes on and on. Like the pass rush and Jonathan Allen, I mean, good God, Washington's front four is solid when given the opportunity and is healthy. We know that the wide receiver core for the Giants is battered, bruised, injured. I mean, they, they're, they're, it's like that SpongeBob episode with that guy that's like, every day I wake up, I break my arm, and every night before I go to sleep, I break my legs. Like It's like they, they just cannot get away from the injury bug. I mean, for God's sakes, their only healthy receivers are on the injury report again. Like, they're questionable. Richie James, who I don't even know who the hell that is, is listed as questionable. And Darius Slayton is questionable again. So it's like, the Giants can't. Like, I feel like they are the most injured team behind the Chargers because it's just both teams cannot stay healthy whatsoever. So I think a combination of injuries... Daniel Jones is being forced to put a lot more of the weight of the offense on his shoulders because teams are stacking the box to limit Saquon, which is, of course, becoming, unfortunately, a one-trick pony. And New York is on a two-game skid right now. Washington being the hotter team of the two, I think with the confidence of Taylor Heineke and the emergence of the defense later on in the season, I think that is enough of a formula for the commanders to continue to push forward, not only for a playoff spot, but for some respect in this division. Everybody had counted them out. Everybody had made fun of them, especially with the acquisition of Carson Wentz. Then you throw in Taylor Heineke, and everybody was like, yo, it's a wrap. You guys are done. I have to make a note of this. A lot of teams, or should I say specifically, the two teams we made fun of the most when starting quarterbacks went down, which was the Cowboys when Dak went down and Cooper had to take over. And when Carson went out, everybody said it's a wrap. Taylor Heineke already had his opportunity. It's over. Both chances, both backups have been doing absolutely incredible. So let's give a, a quick round of applause to the backup quarterback position in the NFL because this is why you get paid and this is why you say next man up. That's all that matters. That guy's got to be ready to go, studies the playbook, working with the first team offense, getting those reps during the week, and they're able to execute on game day. So shout out to Taylor Heineke. I think he's going to get another pair of kicks. Or should I say another pair of J's to go out and what is it? I think he gets the colors of the opponents that he beats. Right? I think so, if I'm not mistaken, every time they win. So 
I hope that Taylor Heineke gets another pair here. Again, I always cheer for the home team and the Giants. I just think that they have too much going on over there, and Washington's hot. Yeah, Kevin, I'm with you 100% on this one, and it's not because the commanders have this all-powerful offense that's going to put up 30-35 points with Taylor leading the way. That's not the case here. I think the way that they could win this game against the Giants is very simple. They just play clean offensive football, focus on running the ball with Brian Robinson, Taylor being smart with his passes and not turning the ball over. And then defensively, all they got to do pretty much as you outlined it, stack the box against Saquon and make Daniel Jones beat you. I think it's that simple when it comes to the playbook or the play style that the commanders are going to try to impose on the giants this upcoming Sunday. And, you know, when you look at the commanders, the last couple of weeks, this has been the winning formula for them. I mean, outside of the Eagles game where they went on the road to Philly and beat Philly for the first time uh, this season. And they're the first team to beat Philly and the only team to beat Philly this year. That was the only time I've really seen the commanders led by Taylor to really put on a huge offensive show. But, you know, a lot of their other games, they've been relatively pedestrian offensive performances. You know, you can look back to the Titans, a couple, not the Titans, uh, the Texans game a couple weeks ago. They only put up 23 points on the board. You look at the Falcons game last week, they only put up 19 points on the board. And Taylor really wasn't that special as far as I see it. The only thing that was special was that he didn't turn the ball over. So it's at least a tip of the cap in his favor, I guess. But, you know, going up against this Giants defense, it still is going to be tricky simply just because even though there's a lot of injuries on that side of the ball with New York, I still believe that the Giants are still going to be able to put up a decent defensive performance simply just because they know that Taylor is still kind of weak at the quarterback position when it comes to just pushing the ball down the field and, you know, really leading to those high explosive plays. That's not really Taylor style. Taylor can do it at times. You know, you can get Terry McLaurin involved. You know, you could utilize guys out of the backfield in the passing game as well. But as far as I see it, you know, the commander style of play is running the football and using Taylor at the right time to be able to execute. And the Giants, if I think if they were fully healthy going into this game, I think they would have a much more decent chance to win this game against the commanders. But like you said, Kev, with all the injuries that the Giants have been dealing with, not just on the defensive side, but the offensive side as well, I just don't have faith for them going into this game. And, you know, when it comes to Daniel Jones, I've really kind of gone at Daniel Jones the last couple of weeks. When it just comes to his effectiveness, I just don't have faith in him. I will say that he's done a better job this season compared to years past in not turning the ball over. He's done a lot better because, I mean, the first couple of years he was in the league, he was turning the ball over multiple times per game. And honestly, if you were able to get some sort of pass rush on him and you got a decent hit on him, there's a good chance he might fumble the ball. Now, like I said, he's definitely cleaned that up, and I think that's definitely a part why the Giants have been a more better team this year. But it's also based on their defense as well. But like I said, with the injuries that they've been dealing with and them being on a two-game skid, I think it's going to turn into a three-game skid after this game goes final on Sunday. I think the Commanders win this one. I'm going to say relatively comfortably. I'm not going to say it's going to be like a three-touchdown blowout and this game's a runaway at halftime. I don't foresee that happening. Uh, just because both quarterbacks, I don't think, are really designed to have those types of performances week in and week out. Maybe here and there, but 
I don't think those guys are really built for that. I don't think the offensive systems that are built around them are really executed towards that fashion. But I definitely see the commanders putting up somewhere around, I'm going to say about 20 to 24 points in this one. I think the Giants are going to put somewhere around 14 to 17. So I guess just to kind of put a score on this one, I'm going to say the commanders win this one by the score of 23 to 14. Um, I think it's going to be a two possession game when it's all said and done, albeit a nine point game when this game goes final. But, you know, you look at that situation, the commanders would bump up to eight and five. They would technically be tied with the Giants at that point. And, you know, going into the last couple weeks of the season, you know, the commanders, if, if they play their cards right, they could make a playoff run here. They can get one of those last wild card spots in the NFC if they're able to play up the snuff the last couple of weeks. And I think, you know, this game against the Giants this upcoming weekend is going to be in their favor. I think it's going to be one of those moments where they could use this game as just another step as motivation to possibly make a playoff run this year. So got the commanders winning this one by nine points. That's just how I see this game playing out. Dude, I, I can't, I can't give Taylor enough respect, man. Like I, I know people like to mock him because he just, he has that 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 look to him like just this regular average guy. He's always packing a lip. He's always just like kind of just cooling it, bro. Just a normal dude, right? Like he always words it like, you know, I, I give it my all every week, and you know, like I'm just here to I, to help the next I, person. I've I've said this a thousand he keep, times. He's a, he's a he great it a teammate. Keeps it a buck. And it's like you know, like at the, at the end of the day, you, you have to you, you want to play with a guy like that. You want to play for yeah. a guy like that. You know, he's he's willing to give it all in practice, whether he's holding the clipboard, whether he's not even suited up, holding the headset, like whatever he's got to do, he's committed. I mean, for God's sakes, he's told the story multiple times. He goes, I didn't even think I was going to be in the league, and like one day I was called, like, hey, we need you. And he suited up. I think that was a Carolina game, like three four years ago, and he just came in and played for a little bit, and he got hurt. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken. I think he fucked up his shoulder or his elbow on one play. And the trainer looked at it and they were like, yo, dude, you got to come out. He's like, yo, tape it up. It's not even in my throwing arm. Just I'm coming back in. I'm telling you, guys like that don't exist no more. Guys that are willing to put their bodies on the line. It, it, it goes past just a check. You know, and I admire you, it. You know, the thing is that wins a locker room, too. Those guys it respect can, that. I remember the story that Julian Edelman talked about Jimmy Garoppolo. Hurt his non-throwing shoulder, and I believe it was against the Dolphins. Had a chance to come back a week or two later, and decided to to not risk it. And yet you had Jacoby Brissett go out there with I think like a torn ligament a in his torn thumb. ligament in his thumb, his throwing him. Yeah, and definitely rubbed off wrong on the guys in the locker room when it came to Jimmy, just because they felt like you know you have a chance to go back there on the field with your boys that are going through some similar injury issues. I mean, it doesn't have to be the same injury, but they're dealing with their own dings and bruises throughout the season. And, you know, it didn't work out for him in his favor in the long run with new England. But no, when it comes to Taylor, Taylor just seems like one of those dudes that just seems to really kind of like invigorate a locker room. Like it's really interesting to see how this whole Taylor Heineke situation goes, because I want to see the guy succeed. You know, I didn't think you want to bro. It's it's really interesting just to see like how the team itself really rallies around him. It's not to say that like Carson can't inspire that same level of confidence in the locker room, but it just seems like as if it's a lot easier for Taylor to do that compared to Carson. I would agree. You know, and that's just kind of how I see it playing out. And I think that's 
going to be a big part why they go out and win on Sunday. I think it's just the confidence that he instills, not only in the offense, but I think for the rest of that team, I just think that he's just, he gets those guys fired up and ready to go, you know, and, you know, hopefully for them, they're, they're able to get a win, but you know, it comes to the giants, bro. They've just been so wrecked by injuries this year. It's, I think it's going to be an uphill battle for them in this game. I just, I really see them struggling in this one, but Agreed. that's what happens, bro. Injuries can I mean, derail a season. They could derail it, a season. What are you going to do? You can't, again, I've said this before. Also last point before we move on to the next one. You can only say next man up to a certain extent when it's literally your entire receiving core and you're just signing guys not only off the practice squad but what seems to be off the street. Mm-hmm. It gets it gets really difficult when you're first, second, third, fourth, fifth practice. It, it's hard to replicate the success of a starting wide receiving core. Mm-hmm. I can't even insult Kenny Galladay because that man's been healthy most of the season and he just can't catch a ball to save his life. $18 mm-hmm. million and he was one of the worst free agent signings I've ever seen. I know. So, I mean, for God's sakes, the stands, like the fans in the stands, are giving him standing ovations for simply catching a pass because they know he's been that ineffective since arriving to New York. You know what's kind of funny? I remember we did a segment a couple years ago. We were talking about Kenny Galladay potentially going to the Patriots. Remember that? I think we kind of, I think we kind of dodged a bullet on that one, bro. I would say, I would say so. The rumors were real about him potentially going to New England. So I think we dodged a bullet on that one. So glad we didn't oh, overpay well, somebody. But that's no. on them. But uh we got uh we got a we got a pretty solid matchup here. Our first four o'clock game, by the way, in the Dolphins going up against the former home of the Dolphins head coach and Mike McDaniels, and that's gonna be in San Francisco. So we got the eight and three Dolphins coming up against the seven and four San Francisco 49ers, each of them respectively leading their own divisions. The Dolphins run the AFC East, and as of right now, the San Francisco 49ers are ahead in the NFC West. So Kyle, to kick this one your way, do you think that Tua and the Dolphins can continue this run? Or do the 49ers defense find a way to stuff what seems to be one of the most electrifying wide receiving cores in Miami? I've been going back and forth on this one because similar to what we talked about just a couple of minutes ago between uh, the Vikings and the Jets, I could definitely see a scenario where both the Dolphins and the 49ers can win this game respectively. I'm going to go with the 49ers in this one. And here's why. The Dolphins offense has been absolutely electric the last month since basically Halloween until now they put up 30 points plus but we kind of have to take these games with a little bit of a grain of salt because the last four games that they played against as far as the teams are concerned they played the Lions the Bears the Browns and the Texans not necessarily the stiffest competition that you're going up against in the NFL there are definitely some teams uh, that are of better caliber than those that I just that I just outlined. But nonetheless, the Dolphins went out and handled their business. And Tua and the offense really lit it up. But whenever Miami has gone up against top-tier talent this year, they have relatively struggled. We look back to, I want to say the middle of October when they played the Vikings. My, mind you, the Dolphins were home in that game, and the Vikings won on the road by a touchdown in that game. Not only that, the week before that, the Jets absolutely dominated the Dolphins 40-17 to at home. 
The Dolphins on the road lost by 23 points. And one of the key factors that I look back to that game was Kev was Tua hurt in that game? Was I was Tua not so? I think I, yeah, I think that was the big game where it was like he wasn't even available because he had just gotten concussed it, against it, the Bengals it, before. It, even even the one thing I have to take away from that game was the fact that the Jets defense was so stifling that they held that what I would consider is a high powered offense in the Dolphins. I mean, the Dolphins are a great offense as far as I see it this year. And even though that Teddy Bridgewater wasn't able to do anything, I think it was in large part predicated on what that Jets defense was able to present because they essentially locked down that Miami Dolphins offense. Now, going into this game, the Dolphins are going to go up against a top caliber defense. And, you know, when you look at their history this year, they have struggled against top tier defenses. And going out to the West Coast against a surging team like the 49ers, I think it's going to be a tough out for them. I'm not saying that the the the, the Dolphins can't do it, that they can't go on the road and, and pick up this win and and head back home with a dub in their pocket. But more, I think in more cases than not, I think the 49ers get this win. I think it's simply because that 49ers defense is going to be able to get some sort of pass rush against Tua, maybe get somewhere around two, maybe three sacks in this game, maybe get to a point where Tua forces an errant pass, it gets picked off, and the 49ers may convert it on the other side by turning that turnover into points. And not only that, you know, when it comes to the 49ers offense, they've been hit and miss this year. There have been times where they have looked great, and there have been times that they have looked subpar. I think this is one of those games, they know the stakes at hand here, they got to go out there and dominate. And I think that you're going to see a very well-rounded performance from this 49ers offensive unit. I'm thinking that Christian McCaffrey's not only going to be involved in the run game, I think he's going to be heavily involved in the passing game as well because he's extremely effective when utilized in screens, checkdowns. You always have to account for him. And when it comes to the wide receiving core that the 49ers have at their disposal, they have multiple options to go to here. You've got Debo Samuel. You've got Brandon Ayuk. You've got Jawan Jennings. You've got Kittle at the tight end spot. Like, there's no shortage of targets for Jimmy to go to. It's just he has to hit those targets consistently. And if they're able to do that, I think the 49ers can win this game in a relatively close battle. I will say, though, if Tua and the Dolphins offense could put up points in this game against that 49ers defense, is it going to be a great game? You know, I'll, Hopefully, you know, I pick, I'm picking the 49ers to win this game, but I want this to be a high-scoring game. I want this to be where Tua and Jimmy are going back and forth. Because Kevin and I were kind of talking about this before we started recording. If Tua was playing a little bit more flashy, and but he's had a great year nonetheless, he'd be at the top of the MVP discussion as far as I see it. I don't know if he'd be the number one pick, but he'd definitely be in the top two, top three picks this year. It's just that Tua doesn't really flash people, doesn't really go out there and make those Patrick Mahomes type plays or Josh Allen type plays. But nonetheless... He's very consistent. He's extremely effective in the passing game. And hopefully for me, I just want Tua to go out there and play the best that he can. And hopefully it leads to a high scoring game where it's, this game just turns out to be a shootout. I don't think that's going to be the case though. I think the the Dolphins may get somewhere around 20, maybe 23 points. I think the 49ers are going to get somewhere around 27, maybe 30 points. Maybe 30 points is pushing it. Maybe like 28 is maybe the most I see them getting. 
But I'm going to say that the 49ers win this one in a very close game. I'm going to say the 49ers win this one 27-23. They maintain their number one spot in the NFC West. And when it comes to the Dolphins, look, the Dolphins are still one of the better teams in the AFC East this year. Hell, they're even one of the better teams in the AFC as far as I see it. So even if they were to lose this game, not going to be too worried about them. It's a very difficult matchup for them uh, going out to the West Coast. But I definitely think that the 49ers have a better chance to win this game. Can't rule out the Dolphins winning this game because I think they have the requisite pieces to do it as well. I just favor the 49ers a little bit more than the Dolphins. But Kev, the floor is yours. I'm going with San Fran too. Um, I think that the combination of Miami's injuries to their offensive line, if I'm not mistaken, I think that they lost Armstrong. He is listed as doubtful, who is the left tackle. So that's not to his blind side because he's a lefty. But I'm also looking at the potential injuries on San Francisco's side. Christian McCaffrey's hurt. Debo Samuel's hurt. Eric Armstead is listed as questionable. He hasn't played yet. He uh, was limited in practice. And I'm just thinking, well, both teams have some injuries. But I think that San Francisco, with that defense, I think that San Francisco, with the weapons that they have available to them and how they've been playing as of recent. I mean, Nick Bosa is... A man on a mission. He is one of the most dominant pass rushers this league has to offer. And I truly believe they are going to find a way to knock Miami off of this win streak or this, you know, this, this, I want to say, of course, now, now a synonym is going to leave my mind like an adjective to describe what the Dolphins have been doing. But let's just put it at this high level of play. Um, They had a high moment last week going up against a bad team in Houston, and they were able to dominate them on all facets. I mean, Mike McDaniels was joking around the entire time on the sideline. I mean, he was mic'd up. Uh, Tua Tungavailoa was seen to be laughing on the sideline. So, I mean, like, you know, everything's good and dandy when you're playing against scrubs. But, I mean, when you're going up against one of the best offenses in the NFL, excuse me, one of the best defenses in the NFL, uh, laughs and jokes tend to kind of wither away as the game progresses because it becomes very physical. It could potentially even be chippy. I'm not saying the Dolphins are going to get blown out by any means, but if Eric Armstead finds a way to play, that is another pass rush that's going to be let loose on Tua Tungavailoa. So you have to look. Austin Jackson's listed as questionable. Teron Armstead is doubtful, meaning he's probably not going to play. Both running backs and Miles Gaskin and Raheem Mostert are listed as questionable. So that is going to take away the options of the offense in terms of rushing attacks outside of Jeff Wilson. How much more limited can you be? You have to be able to run the football effectively to keep the clock and keep the ball away from the opposing side. The depth of the running back core is going to be limited. And the offensive line in terms of protecting Tua, who has been injured already this season, is also banged up. I think that combination is going to make Miami very one-dimensional. I don't see them giving Jeff Wilson 25, 30 touches. I think they're going to lean on Tua to throw the ball 30-plus times to really get them out of a jam. And I think that is where the turnovers are going to come. And I think that is where Tua is going to make some mistakes. I'm not saying that Miami's defense are scrubs. And I'm not saying that Jimmy Garoppolo is not uh, prone to make mistakes in key big games. But, I mean, he's playing very well this season. He's got 16 touchdowns and four interceptions. Tua's got 19 and three. So it's not like these quarterbacks are very different. They're both very conservative. I would say that, obviously, Tua right this moment is a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. But I am going to lean with the team that has a better defense and that is going to hopefully take advantage of the injuries to the offense of the other team. So I have San Francisco winning a close one at home. I think that this one could easily be anywhere from 28-24. But I agree with Kyle. I would hope that this becomes a shootout. I would love to see see both teams go at it. I know that Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are the best one-two punch in the league in terms of 
at the receiving core, but if Tua doesn't have time and if he can't reach the deep ball because of his lack of time in the pocket, I think that is going to take them out of the equation and that makes them not necessarily null and void. I just don't think they'll be as impactful. So I have San Francisco winning and moving on to eight and four. And you know, the crazy thing is I think if either team were to lose this game, I don't, I'll be honest with you. I'm not too worried about either team if they were to lose just because I mean, I mean, if I had to pick between one Buffalo's or the other, got, Buffalo has to, I mean, Miami has to win because Buffalo's nine and three. Yeah. That's Miami that I, owns a tiebreaker, but if they were to lose this game, that puts Buffalo ahead by a half game, if not yeah, a whole game, however yeah, the metric goes. I, w- I will say that, you know, the Dolphins and the Bills, they do play one more time. I think it's a week before Christmas. I I think, well, so next, the Do- the, two weeks from now? Two, two weeks from now. So the Dolphins have like a West Coast, they really have a West Coast trip for the next two weeks because they play the 49ers this weekend. Then they play the Chargers uh, on December 11th. So they have a little bit of a, West Coast road trip, and then they go all the way back to Buffalo um, a week before Christmas before they have a home game on Christmas Day. Packers. Yeah, on Christmas Day. So, you know, I will say the like these next two games for the Dolphins are kind of tricky, and not only that, the next three, because I will say you know the one team that we were kind of talking about earlier with the amount of injuries that they've been dealing with is the Chargers. At least offensively, like when it comes to their skills or their skill set or their skill position, excuse me, at least those guys are somewhat healthy again. And, you know, maybe we see Justin Herbert really light up that Dolphins defense because all those guys are back in the fold. So, you know, I, I, I it's tricky for me to kind of look at the situation in, in, in both teams. Because the 49ers have to keep the Seahawks at bay in the NFC West. But I guess, I don't know. I guess the way that I see it is, I don't think the Dolphins would necessarily be in the worst position in the world if they lost this game. And I think that you could say the same thing with the 49ers. Just because I don't know if the Seahawks could be able to get back to that top spot in the NFC West. I, I, I just, I don't have a lot of faith in them right now. I did a couple of weeks ago. But they have to prove the, it. That's all. Yeah. Not because of the offense. The offense did their thing last week. But that's the defense. But defense. Oh, God. What are you going to do? 40 points to Vegas. Jeez. But now this, uh, this, this next game to me is the game of the week. Not primetime, though. Not primetime. I know. I know. We keep I doing know. this. I feel, like it's, I feel like it's been two, three weeks in a row. We feel like there should have been a game that it was I know that saddens you. I know, I know that bothers you. It bothers yeah, you a I mean, lot. Considering the Sunday night game was the Colts versus the Cowboys, and we're about to get molly whopped. Micah Parsons about to be a physical part of Matt Ryan, if you catch what I'm saying. <laughs> um, this game, I want to be a shootout badly. I want this to be blow for blow, touchdown for touchdown, point for point, because I want a full-on healthy matchup between the AFC Championship rivals of last year, or matchup of last year, and the Chiefs going up against the Bengals. So, Kyle... I'm kicking this to you. It looks like, for the most part, both teams are going to be almost fully healthy. We have Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon practicing this week, and they're listed as questionable. But I would assume that unless there is a turn for the worse with Jamar, that both players are going to be able to play. So with that being said, fully healthy Kansas City team, a fully healthy Bengals team, who do you have winning and why? Kev, I'm, honestly, I could toss a coin at this point. I'm just going to go with the result. 
I'm going to go with Kansas City by the slimmest of margins here. Um, I was really thinking about picking the Bengals too, so I don't want to, I don't want to discount that either. When it comes to the Chiefs, I, it's just Patrick. Now, granted, I know the last time these two teams played, Joe Burrow and the Bengals ended up going to the Super Bowl. But, you know, when I look back to the AFC Championship game last year, that first half, the Chiefs were just rolling on all cylinders. I mean, they were just on fire as far as I see it. In the second half, they just fell apart, and Joe Burrow and the Bengals did enough to be able to get by the Chiefs on the road and eventually go to the Super Bowl where they played the Rams. But, you know, when it comes to this game, you know, I think this thing, I think this game is going to be an absolute shootout. And that's what I honestly hope that it is. And I'm also banking on the fact that it will be because this has the potential to be one of the games, if not the game of the year, if this plays out where both Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow just light it up where both guys are putting up somewhere between 300 to 350 yards passing and respectively two to three touchdowns between the two of them. But when it comes to the Chiefs, Man, they've just been a model of consistency this year. I mean, they're sitting at 9-2. and two. They're one of the best teams in the AFC. You can make a case that they're the best team in the NFL right now. They've been consistently at the top of our NFL power rankings for essentially the last three weeks. It's really as long as I can remember. Um, the Bills were at the top, and the Chiefs have really kind of maintained that number one spot for the last couple of weeks. And it's simply because Patrick Mahomes is at the top of the MVP discussion as far as I see it. And there's nothing that he's shown me the last couple of weeks that detracts from that statement. He's been very consistent. He's putting up somewhere around 250 to 300 yards passing consistently. He's not turning the ball over like he did last year. And by and large, his connection with the wideouts that they have at their disposal has been very solid. I mean, you know, Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, I mean, it is like, man, it's like, it's like Superman and, Robin out there. I mean, those guys are just phenomenal and they're able to find the matchups that work out for them and exploit them. And I think in this game, there's a very good chance that Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes are going to be able to connect quite frequently in this game where I see Travis Kelsey getting somewhere around seven to eight catches and probably over a hundred yards receiving, maybe even a touchdown or two on top of that. When it comes to the rest of their wideouts, I want to see you know Marcus Valdez Scanling and Juju get back into the fold. I don't believe that Kadarius Tony is going to be playing in this game. Kev is was he? He's listed as questionable as well. Because I know he was been he's been dealing with some injury issues uh, the last week or so. So I'm not really 100 percent sure if he's going to be in the fold for them. But I know that you know the Chiefs made the trade for him to bring him into the fold, and hopefully he's able to get some sort of burn if he's out there on the field. It's just. You know, when it comes to the Chiefs, I'm not really going to bet against them unless, you know, Joe Burrow and the Bengals prove me otherwise. Granted, they did it last year, so I will give them that. But this year, when I look at the Chiefs compared to the Bengals, the Chiefs have been the more consistent team. The Bengals, it took a while for them to get to this point because the beginning of the year, they flat out sucked. They couldn't protect Joe Burrow. He was getting sacked left and right damn near every game, the first two to three games of the year. And they have stabilized that part of the offensive line a little bit, but there's definitely a potential for Joe Burrow to still get sacked a couple times in this game. And that's despite the fact that the Chiefs don't necessarily have one of the best defenses in the NFL. So we'll see how it plays out, but I think this game's going to be an absolute shootout. I think that Joe Burrow's going to be able to put up points. I think that Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to put up points. I think this really kind of comes down to who's going to make the first mistake. 
Who's going to make that turnover and who's going to capitalize on that mistake? Going to go with Patrick Mahomes in this one. I know that he's had some issues with late game turnovers and late game interceptions this year compared to years past, but I think he's by and large been able to resolve those early mistakes that he made a couple of months ago. And, you know, when I look at the Chiefs, they're, they're just running and gunning as far as I see it. But when it comes to the Bengals, the Bengals are finally getting fully healthy. And if they have Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon in the fold, that's going to be a very tough challenge for that Chiefs defense. They're going to be stretched to their outer limits as far as I see it. So you know, when it comes to this game, I'm going to pit the Chiefs. I don't have a lot of confidence in it because I think both teams have a very good chance to win this game. I'm going to say the Chiefs win this one by, I'm going to say like four, five points, somewhere around there. I think this game is going to be very high scoring. I think it's going to be a 34 to 28 score when it's all said and done, or 34-30, since I said it was like four or five points. Let's say 34-30. I think both teams could definitely put up 30 points in this game. I'm going to go with a slight edge with Kansas City in this one because it's Patrick Mahomes. I'm not going to bet against him in this matchup, but it doesn't mean that I'm hating on Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow can go out there and dominate this game as well. I just have a little bit more faith in Patrick in this one. So, Kev, take it on here, bro, because I know you probably have a lot to say about this game. I'm going with my boy, Joseph Burrow. I got faith that this team is going to find their way back into the playoffs and win this division and take it from Baltimore. I am being bold as I was this time last year. I'm not saying that they're going to make it to a Super Bowl. I think that they're going to find a way to climb into the playoffs despite how the season started. And it's going to start with a statement game against Kansas City. I believe that they proved enough to go out and win without Jamar Chase. They won without uh, Joe Mixon last week, and they were able to get it done against a very tough Tennessee opponent. Now, with potentially both players coming back, that adds a different dynamic to have to go and protect and guard different players. Joe Mixon, we saw, can go out and give you 55 fantasy points in a week just in receiving touchdowns and, and a couple rushing scores. Then you have Jamar Chase, one of the best up-and-coming route runners and wide receivers in the league. T. Higgins has been playing very well. Hayden Hurst has been coming to his own in the Cincinnati offense finally. And I think that Joe Burrow has finally gotten himself into a rhythm. Statistically, Joe Burrow has been playing very well this entire season. I mean, we did a we did a short just a few weeks ago as to how successful he's been. And aside from the four-interception performance... In week one, where he was still recovering for an appendectomy, I mean, he's got 23 touchdowns to four interceptions because, again, I'm minusing the four from the first week. He has played incredibly well since that game. Over 3,000 yards passing already. I know what people are saying. Oh, well, Patrick Mahomes is one touchdown away from 30 touchdown passes with eight interceptions as well. He's got almost 4,000 yards. Well, when you're the Kansas City Chiefs and you have probably one of the greatest offenses that has ever touched the football, I would say that, yeah, it's safe to say that he's a better quarterback right now. Absolutely. There's no doubt. There's no argument. There's not really much you can argue with it because, quite frankly, Cincinnati's got a more high-powered offense than Kansas City, and Patrick's doing it with less. I'm just going to say that I think that this rivalry, this potential, hopefully to soon-to-be rivalry, if they face off again uh, a couple more times in the playoffs, I think Joe Burrow is going to ride this game as a immediate confidence booster. Like, guys, we got to do this. We did it last year when the world didn't expect it. We got to do it again. And that's solely because, again, this is going to catapult, hopefully, Cincinnati 
into reclaiming the AFC North. Because after this game, they have to go up against Cleveland again, who they got blown out by just a few weeks ago. They have to go out into Tampa. They have to go play the Patriots. They have to play the Bills. This is going to be a gauntlet for the Cincinnati Bengals for the remainder of the season. And again, you go and you get a staple win against a team like the Chiefs, which is the best team in the AFC, arguably in the league, that could easily push this team into a massive spin of we're already on a three-game win streak. If we beat Kansas City, we can run the table. Obviously, if you look at it from an overall perspective, Cleveland's not the best. Obviously, Deshaun Watson's just coming back. The Buccaneers have struggled. The Patriots have struggled. The Bills have shown weaknesses time and time again throughout the whole season. I think that this is possible because you are led by Joe Burrow and this offense. And Cincinnati's defense has been playing a lot better than what people have initially anticipated or at least have given them credit for. Because when you look at it overall in terms of total yards allowed, the Bengals are only allowing 338. 226 in the air, 112 on the ground. So they're a little weaker in the rush defense. But you would not expect that from a team like the Bengals, especially the way they started the season. So I'm hoping that this is going to be a shootout. I am praying that this is going to be one of the most entertaining, if not the most entertaining game of the year, like Kyle had alluded to. But I got the Bengals winning this one in a close one. And I'm going to mirror my partner's prediction with the score of 34 to 30. But I'm going to favor it in, in, uh, on the side of the Bengals. Joseph is the dude, bro. Bro, get your popcorn ready. That's all I'm going to say. A, he's a truth, baby. He's a truth. At 425, man, I'm going to be locked in. It's Sabo's birthday the, day, the next day, so we're celebrating early. I, everybody got to get out of my house at four. <laughs> I'm going to do a little morning thing, take Sabo outside if he's feeling better. At 4.30, get out of my house. Oh, at that point, game on, bro. It's game on. And honestly, I think this game kind of speaks for itself. I don't think there's really much else that we could add to it. Just nope. because, bro. Patrick the Mahomes, hype is real Joe, for it. Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow. What else more can you say? It's going to be cold, too, bro. For, I don't know, not cold, cold. Not like Foxborough, but it's going to be 47. Beautiful day, though. That's perfect, though. Early December. That'd be perfect. Yes, so, sir. It won't, be, it won't be a brick, like, you know, playing in Green Bay or in Buffalo, because it can get pretty cold in those those two stadiums. But, no, overall, definitely going to be a fun one as far as I see it. Guys, okay. it's 1 a.m. It's a little on the late side, so we are going to call it here. But... We appreciate the support, as always, growing on every, every platform, having fun while doing it. We are just, we're pushing content all day, every day, and without you guys, we wouldn't be here. So, as I always say, shout out to my partner for doing his thing. Editing is getting better, and obviously, we're here because of him in a lot of ways, but man, it's been a fun ride. We're going to keep it going as long as we can, but to do that, we got to get some shut-eye. So, I'm going to take my happy ass to bed after I take a shower. But uh, Kyle, ride us off into the sunset, homie. No, I kept pretty much hit it on the nail as far as I see it. So um, I see this all the time. It's just I'm a broken record at this point. Facts. If you guys, uh, you guys enjoyed the podcast, obviously uh, support the podcast in any way that you can. If you were listening to us on the audio platforms or watching us on YouTube, we definitely appreciate the support. We'll be back once again on a Sunday night record. Obviously, we'll have a Monday upload for the next episode and then you know, I guess just kind of going into this weekend, we'll just be kind of dropping uh, the game commentary that we had from this episode throughout the weekend. So definitely stay tuned for that. And then obviously we'll have short form content on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, you pretty much name it. We'll have it out there for you guys. So 
definitely stay tuned for that. But that's pretty much all I got from here, you guys. Um, hopefully, you guys have a great weekend uh, going into the last month of the year. Uh, hopefully, you get some Christmas shopping done because I'll probably try to get some done this week as well. But until we see you guys on Monday once again, take it easy, and we'll see you guys then. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels on this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid.